This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. And so does our guest today, Rose. My name is Alex, I use they them pronouns, and this is Stride with Pride. Hello everyone and welcome back to Stride with Pride. I hope you've had a great however long it's been since you last listened. Today we are going to talk a bit about uh, internalized transphobia and presentation, which we've kind of talked about before, but we have an amazing guest on today um, to talk to talk about it a bit more from the transfeminine perspective. But also, um, insert from the future, we end up talking about a bunch of random stuff to do with transness. So um, look forward to that too. So why don't you introduce yourself, my wonderful guest? Hi, I'm Rose. My pronouns are she, her, and I identify as a trans woman. Um, my journey is a bit of a weird, long one. I started in primary school, which lots of people, well, the more media publicised people start at, but... I didn't realise it at the time. I started, I identified as a girl for about a week and sort of just passed it off as nothing, as a joke, as, so, as just sort of nothing. So this was something that I touched along, further along way, and not until high school, which was when everything sort of cropped up again. And I identified as a bisexual male for several years until I realised that I don't think that being a guy was really truly who I was. So I started, I originally identified as non-binary, just sort of trying out labels, making sure what worked, and then identified as gender fluid because that's personally what I thought worked at the time because I still felt masculine sometimes and feminine. But I I personally felt that I was identifying as female a lot more of the time. So, and I realised that the label um, being a trans woman might be more for me. And... I've struggled a lot of an inner turmoil for a long time with clothing in particular because I felt that I had to be super hyper-feminine to be truly feminine per se and be a real woman. But that is largely influenced by society and heteronormativity, society and especially cis-normative society. That's that's some of our favourite things right there. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, So that was a long turmoil and thinking that I couldn't dress masculine and that I'd have to pretty much get rid of all my masculine clothes and start again but it's sort of been working through and repurposing those masculine clothes in a way that makes me feel more comfortable Mm, yeah I think that's really cool so so what um what was your I guess clothing journey like then because like it's it's obviously a big part of transition and like who we how we figure out who we are right so yeah so my clothing journey actually started off with a lot of makeup and I tried out a lot of makeup at home in the quiet before I came out. So that was sort of working through feeling like I had to be very feminine. And I got my first dress several years ago and that sort of spitballed everything from there and growing in my journey and helping me feel more comfortable. And I think it also helped going to Wacky and helping me feel more accepted and being able to wear whatever I wanted because it was a safe space where everyone sort of wore what they were comfortable with. And I helped me sort of battle that heteronormative feelings and everything to be 
who I am truly and be able to wear whatever I wanted. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on trans people, but, like, specifically trans women to be this hyper-feminine ideal because, like, not only is there the pressure of having to pass, you know, in in big air quotes, um, <laughs> um, but, like, also to be considered a proper woman, there's also the double layer of the misogyny on top of that. Like, you, there's... Like, for cis women, it's like you can dress however you want and people will still see you as a woman. But, like, then for trans women, it's like you have to be the specific thing, right? Do do you have any, I don't know, commentary or ideas where you think this comes from? Yeah, I think the media potentially plays a huge part in this because for cisgender women, we always talk about it, how they're influenced and negatively impacted by media and presentations, especially within magazines and what's shown on TV. But we don't necessarily think about how it actually impacts trans people and their journeys because it impacted me as a trans woman that I didn't realise till a long time after through my transition process because I the feeling of having to be hyper-feminine, I believe, came from that because you see all these very, very feminine people on TV but you don't necessarily see the more masculine stereotype or not necessarily stereotypes, just people being themselves. And as a trans woman, a lot of the time in the media it's portrayed is that you have to be really, really feminine, otherwise you're sort of just seen as a man dressing up, per se. So that impacted it quite a large amount, and battling those stereotypes was definitely a very big uphill battle and a huge learning curve. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I, I mean, I can totally see that, because like, as an AFAB non-binary person who sort of switches between presentations, so like, I, I typically dress more masculine, but I'm playing with more feminine stuff, I guess it's it's something that a lot of a lot of trans people and non-binary people deal with it's like feeling like when you've got this new gender I guess that you have to be the ideal of that for people to see you as you see yourself because like especially for trans men I know that a bunch of them will immediately go hyper masculine I have to do everything to look and pass as male which is definitely something that like you feel as part of you because you want to if, if you're uh, binary trans dude you want to be seen as a dude so like it makes sense but then there's all these societal things that is just such bs that people have to live up to <laughs> like in terms of you know you have to dress in a very specific way and you have to act in this very specific way or you're not a man like what that's what <laughs> yeah that definitely yeah society plays a huge part in that and i think a lot of things, another thing that a lot of trans people potentially suffer with and not potentially realise it is imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is where people feel fraudulent for any given reason. For those in the trans community, this relates to how masculine or feminine someone is compared to their identity, and whether it is enough potentially to be labelled as their gender. And that, again, links into the heteronormative society expectations. Yeah, like I definitely know that, like, within like both within and without the community there's a lot of like feelings of especially when you're first coming into your identity about like am I non-binary enough am I trans enough am I this thing enough to be considered this thing right because the first time you hit those communities you immediately hit all the stereotypes that are placed upon you within media because Mm. some of the first things you do is a you look up identities that may represent you and b you sometimes look to the media to find those representations that you may find in for yourself, to find yourself reflected back in, ident- in the media. 
and when that's not reflected back at you, it becomes really hard, or when it may be misrepresented at you, it's a really difficult journey to figure that out and figure out who you are within those identities that have been labelled in the media. Yeah, totally. I also think that comes into, like, the not diversity in media. So, like, you'll see the, obviously, the token whatever character, and there's not another character to show the diversity of the orientation. So if there's only hyper-feminine trans women, you're obviously going to feel like you have to be a hyper-feminine trans woman because that's the only way that's portrayed that you can be. And there's not the diversity in it that you can, you know, see, oh, you know, I don't have to be this one thing. (laughs) A lot of the time we're also hit within the media of the idea of born in the wrong body, which for some people may be true, but for not for me personally, I didn't realise that I had dysphoria till a part way through my identity crisis, I guess, because I didn't realise that's what I was feeling. And of course, not everyone feels that dysphoria, which I think is another huge negative thing that's, that is portrayed within the media once again, because people are just trying to live themselves and it's shown that you sort of have to be unhappy to find your happiness. Yeah. When in reality, sometimes it's you just sort of figure out what makes you most comfortable. It's trying maybe like it's like putting on a pair of shoes. It's like you like one pair of shoes and they might be comfortable and another pair might not be so comfortable. It's sort of a similar concept potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important to recognize the role that euphoria plays as well, because sometimes the pronouns that you are thrust that are thrust upon you, they are what you're used to and you're just like, yeah, it's whatever. But then when you hear another set of pronouns being used for you or you're referred to in a different way and that feels really good, um, that can also be like a indicator that you're <laughs> not cis, you know? Like it, it's not necessarily about what m- makes you uncomfortable. It can be what makes you the most comfortable. Yeah, and that was sort of the case for me before I realised I was trans. It was sort of when I was in my gender fluid phase and non-binary phase, it was sort of trying out those pronouns that worked and the identity labels that worked because sometimes finding those identity labels can take a really long time to figure them out. And I personally felt a lot of pressure to figure out who I was Mm. and put labels on things when in reality I sort of needed to take it slow, work through things and just take everything one step at a time to make things work and make me feel comfortable. Mm. Because I feel like sometimes we have all these labels and sometimes you feel these pressures, potentially societally, to for people to go, what what do you identify as? Sort of, who are you in this space? Yeah. And you feel like you potentially might have this void to fill. But it's okay to not know potentially what label you are or if you don't even want to put a label on it, that's like completely okay. Yeah, no, society is totally obsessed with labeling everything. <laughs> and I think that definitely like carries into the queer community. I know I definitely felt the the pressure to label myself with every little change. Um I've talked about it before about how I use broad labels to avoid having to use micro labels. Micro labels are very useful for a lot of people and props to you if you use them. But in terms of my own identity and stuff, it was very like confusing I guess but it it was also just a lot of pressure to find a label that works perfectly with everything you are and then stick to that Um, because it's really important to remember that you can change your label it stuff is fluid you know it's it is what it is (laughs) I once heard this great quote somewhere I can't remember where it's from but it talked about how 
labels aren't necessarily for the wider public to understand, but sometimes it's to help those people in those niche communities find their communities mm. and find where they're truly home. Because when you feel like you don't belong in a potentially cis-normative and heteronormative space, it becomes very daunting, and it's potentially like just being able to reach out to others who you feel are like you and find those shared experiences that are a lot easier to do when you're in a cis and heteronormative space when you identify as that. But when you suddenly identify out of the identify out of the quote unquote normal societal mm. expectations, it becomes a lot harder and a whole new process and journey that you've just been suddenly thrown into and sort of working your way through that. Yeah, totally. I know that I've felt um a lot of that pressure, like I said, um, trying to label myself for other people. It, it was trying to figure out who I am so I can tell other people that. I, I was always very open with my identity because thankfully I had such supportive community around me and I just wanted to keep them in the loop with everything new that I was finding out and stuff. Um, but there was also that, that pressure to, because I didn't want to be misunderstood, right? So <laughs> like I, I wanted people to know who I was and who I knew myself to be, um, which was constantly changing because I was a teenager. I still am. Um, You're finding yourself out. That changes all the time. Like, again, fluid stuff. Um, But I was very hell-bent on being able to show people who I am. But there was a lot of pressure that came with that because I was doing it for other people. Um, But then it's really important to remember that, like, you can... Just label yourself for you, you know, like it, you don't have to share these labels with people. Uh, amazing if you do, I props to you. Again, <laughs> you're valid whatever you do, but it can be really therapeutic to find the labels for yourself um, because the, with telling other people there's this pressure that you have to get it right and that you have to have it solid once you've told other people, but I guess finding the label for yourself um, helps you find the community, like you said, um, but it also just makes you feel like you belong somewhere. And having a label for something, um, especially if it's something that you felt was wrong about yourself, which absolutely isn't, you're amazing and wonderful how you are, Um, (laughs) but finding a label for yourself for something that you were unsure of for a really long time is very wonderful, (laughs) very validating as well. It's sometimes like turning like a light on in the dark. It mm. suddenly opens up this whole new community, these whole new ideas that sometimes can be really, really daunting. And I sort of seem to forget that sometimes when you've got new people who come into these spaces that it is still really important to realise that even though you may have been through these processes a long time ago, that it's still daunting for these new people coming in, even if it's a really open, safe community, because it's still a lot to learn from mm. every perspective. Totally, yeah. Definitely, as a as a baby queer, it's there's so much to learn, and there's so much of what you should and shouldn't say, and especially for allies who are trying to learn as well. There's uh, so much information out there, and trying to find the right information and the right people to get this information from and get it all clear. It's a big task, man. It's a big task. Yeah, I think my mum was a really good learning point of that and a really good example of that within my life because she's always been really supportive and open, but she didn't necessarily have the knowledge to be able to support Mm. me in the ways that I may have needed. So it was sort of a not making sure when I updated her that it wasn't like two, maybe three steps forward than where she was at the process. Mm. It was sort of 
walking alongside her, especially through my transition process, because that's a really daunting process for parents, especially because their child is changing in ways that they probably never, ever expected. Mm. So it's, I know it sounds a bit funny, but it might be like holding their hands through the journey going, hey, this Mm. is okay, this is normal, and give them resources and help them learn because a lot of the time they wish to learn, they want to be supportive. It may have been that they've just grown up in a different environment and unsure how to support you compared to their environment that they were raised in. Yeah, totally. I I think it's... It can be really interesting for parents who are really trying to be supportive because, I, I mean, I know that um, a bit after, it was a few years after I came out, but my mum, when I came out as gay, um, my mum, she supported me, of course, but um, she was, she had to unlearn everything in her mind and because she had these ideas in her mind like, okay, when Alex gets a boyfriend, we'll have them in separate rooms um, if they sleep over, like, until this age. But then how does that work if it's with girls? Like, how do I know if they're together? Like, do I separate them anytime it's a girl? Or <laughs> yeah, so it's just raising them in that safe, open environment yeah. and just working through all of that. Yeah, so my mum, she's, she's really supportive and, um, you know, helps, well, thinks about gender stuff a lot more than... A lot of cis people, which I really appreciate. She really gets involved with it, um, but she asks me thing from asks me things from time to time. Um, and and one time she asked about, or she sort of talked about how she doesn't think about herself as gendered um, until it's brought up, um, and like how I guess she was sort of asking how that is for a trans person, and I guess. Like, we are, as trans non-binary people, are forced to think about our gender a lot more often than cis people are. Like, because, so we when we are referred to as our assigned pronouns or assigned gender, that makes us think about our gender more. Because for cis people, they are assumed to be the gender that they are. And so they don't have to think about that. That's a nonchalant interaction for them but then for trans people it's this conflict in our mind constantly on our mind because gendering is so all-consuming in our society yeah and we're suddenly so aware of how we exist in the space Mm. and how we feel like we're supposed to exist in the space based off stereotypes but in the end it's sort of okay to be who you are and just sort of do as you please and Mm. try not to let anything else influence you too much on how you feel you're truly supposed to be Mm. because stereotypes once again sort of influence how we think about ourselves a lot of the time yeah totally especially with ball season being right around the corner stereotypes are often hugely upplayed especially with clothing and those stereotypes because females obviously have those big ball gowns and that cost an arm and a leg and with stereotypically men have the tuxedos whereas you could really wear whatever you want and society sort of like, no, you have to do these things when it's completely okay to sort of step out of it and do what makes you comfortable and wear what makes you most comfortable in those environments because a lot of the time they can be really daunting environments, hugely controlled by cis and heteronormative societies. Mm. Yeah, totally. I think it was really interesting for me when I went to my balls... (laughs) Um, cause I, 
I came out as non-binary in year 10, and so we, did. we had our, our first, first ball in year 12. Um, and so I'd known I was non-binary for a long time, and it was sort of a thing in my mind. It's like, well, I don't want to go in a dress, but then finding a tuxedo that fits my body in the way that, in a way that looks good is just, it was difficult. It was, it took a lot of shopping. <laughs> um, but, you know, we went even gayer for the second year. Um, we got a floral, floral uh, blazer. Um, nice. First year was just pretty much all black. Second year, we went gay. <laughs> Yeah, because a lot of the time they're not made for different body types. Yeah. And they're made for like the most stereotypical thing, like oh, for yeah. men's jackets. I know personally at school with when they even do the blazers for the um, senior students, for mm. the leaders, um, when the females have to wear the jackets, they don't fit because they're made for all the bulky, broad-shouldered sports guys. Yeah. And they're not tailored to different body sizes. And that availability is not necessarily there for everyone, especially during ball season. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really hard for trans people. Um, I mean, in general, not necessarily just for ball um, clothing, for clothing in general to find stuff that fits their body. Because um, you know, for AFAB people, hips are bulkier, and for um, AMAB people, they like a f- female dresses are very tailored to the sort of like hourglass silhouette which doesn't even fit like a lot of women like a lot of cis women (laughs) so how about we just have more clothing diversity in general um first of all but you know it really doesn't cater to trans people who are trying to fit in these clothes because then the clothes won't fit in a way that you know is necessarily flattering to them and that's sad yeah, and it's also balancing dysphoria. And, and But it's also, when you find the stuff that fits you, it's like this major moment of euphoria mm. that I found personally, and it was great. Mm. Because you go, wow, I actually found something that fits me. And it's also, <laughs> this feels fantastic. It feels like I'm truly being me yeah. and true to myself, which can be quite hard to do. Yeah, yeah, especially when there's clothing sizes that are so variable. Mm. We love that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think some of the things that have sort of helped me this with those societal expectations have been through like social media and finding those safe spaces online and to be able to find people like me, to be able to connect online and have those resources available. And I mean, memes helped me a lot because it goes, because you don't normally talk about feelings a lot of the time, especially through social media. So having those memes that you just connect with and go, that's funny, that's like me. I feel that way too. And other people feel like me. So it's good to have that connection standpoint, especially potentially on an emotional standpoint, and go, we're like each other and it's okay. And also with the online interactions, as much as we know it influences how we see ourselves, it also greatly impacts how we see others. Yeah. And sometimes having those online creators really, really help because we don't see that diversity within the broader media that's controlled by the people with far too much money. Mm. But when you have it with small creators who grow over time and sort of just understand every like not everything, but understand from like the base roots, yeah, and can grow, they also show that diversity that is often greatly valued but not seen enough because it helps people see themselves and just reflect and go, "That's like me." Because a lot of the time, especially if you're a person of color or pretty much not white cis or het. Any minority. Yeah, any minority, you don't necessarily see 
a good representation of yourself back at you through mm. media. A lot of the time it's negatively skewed. So finding the places where it's positively yeah. skewed, which it can be really, really helpful and really, really affirming to who you are. Yeah, like that's especially with YouTubers. Like for me, it was so important seeing so many queer YouTubers. And a lot, at the time, a lot of them were pretty white, um, <laughs> um, which was fine for me growing up as a white kid. But, you know, for people of color, we need that representation. And the representation is growing and growing with online communities, Instagram influencers is that what they're called I, I guess so yeah Instagram people uh YouTube you know a bunch of different creators they are there's so many of them and they're able to get even if they're not specifically activists them just being out and about themselves and being you know making it normal is just so vital for people who don't see themselves represented and it's also good to have them in such easy to lead access communities because sometimes face-to-face communities are not available due to world circumstances or just personal circumstances perhaps due to family life or whatever. So it's good to be able to have those online communities that are easily accessible and easily there for people to go just and relate to. Yeah, totally. And also trying out labels and flicking between labels is also completely okay and it is completely okay to try things or even just change around things and just find out what works for you. Yeah, it stuff is fluid everything's fluid you just be you be comfortable be loving your life you are an important person to yourself i hope if you're not hopefully you will be one day you are important and valid to me (laughs) (laughs) you're important to me if you don't feel important to anyone else you're important to me and me Damn, you got two people that you're important to. Look at you go. Look how, oh, you're amazing. Super valid. Super valid. Look at you. Superhero? Nah, super valid. (laughs) (laughs) That's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm keeping that in. Someone someone appreciates that. Hopefully. (laughs) I'm sure you listening do. Yeah, you you wonderful listener, you you appreciate this. (laughs) It's like, and if you're blushing in public, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, this week's creator spotlight, we have a creator of the guest choice. So go ahead and shout out a person. One topic at a time. He's a YouTuber. He's an ally of the community. He does lots of videos on the LGBT memes from a bunch of those different rainbow related subreddits, which I found was really important to me early in my transition. That's cool. So there's one... Topic? One topic at a time on YouTube. Well, thank you guys so much for listening today to this episode. I hope you've had a good time. Thank you so much, Rose, for coming on and talking a bit about your journey and some of the fun stuff that we talked about today. Thank you for having me. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, And you, listener, I hope you have a fantastic day, afternoon, or evening whenever you are listening to this. Don't forget to... Follow my Instagram at stride.with.pride. <laughs> and don't forget to spread your joy. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.